I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, guys, we got a special one today. I have a guest. Say hi. Hi. So this is Melissa DeToro, Yay. one of the newest members of uh, RNT. So Melissa has done a very strange thing, which is how, how far did you drive today? I drove 45 minutes. Yeah, 45 minutes to be on this podcast. Because people ask all the time to have guests on my podcast. And I keep trying to explain to them that I literally am driving to work. Um, and most of my guests have been people who live near me. So you are the farthest away. Wow. So I welcome you. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to I have you guys meet Melissa. And we're going to talk about what it's like to be in R&D. Uh, and I realized something interesting when I was prepping for this is that Melissa started in the beginning of 2015 and I started in 1995, 20 years apart. So we're going to have some fun today sort of looking at the differences between where R&D used to be and where R&D is now. But we're going to start now because Melissa is our guest. So Melissa, talk a little bit. How did you end up getting the job in R&D? Let's start, start there. All right. Well, I was in a movie theater about to watch Guardians of the Galaxy. A fine, fine movie. Okay. And I got this <laughs> Facebook message. So I look at the Facebook message. And it's Dave Humphreys saying, would you like to work in R&D? And I was just like, well, that was unexpected. So the whole movie, I was thinking about this, this Facebook message that I received. And I was just like, I was shocked. I didn't expect this. It was just like, just like crazy to me. So a little, a little background. So Dave Humphreys, very famous magic player, Hall of Famer, um, is the manager for the development team. And so one of Dave's jobs is to find new talent. So we have a system we use called the internship system. So the way it works is we hire someone for an internship. Uh, how long is how the internship? Six months. Six months. And at the end of six months, we sort of evaluate how the person's doing and whether or not we want to move the person on to full time. And pretty much every developer who is in the pit right now had, went through a development internship. I mean, even, even like Eric Lauer, who's the head of development, you know, the, my equivalent on development, he, he was an intern for a while. So talk a little bit about, okay, so Dave Facebooks you and says, hey, I want you to be in R&D. What happens at that point? All right, so I thought about it for a little while. It was like, basically, I would have to give up playing Magic on the Pro Tour and actually playing Magic at all, because at the time, Wizards employees couldn't play in any sanctioned Magic tournaments. So it was kind of a big decision for me. I was also, I would have had to move across the country. But after thinking about it for like maybe five minutes, I said, yeah, this is for me. I think I want to do this. So I told him, yes, I was interested. And then he, uh, we did an interview. That went fine. And then he uh, sent me this test called the Vapor Ops test, which is basically just this design test. And you just have to answer a bunch of questions about magic cards and stuff. Well, real quickly, the Vapor Ops is cards you've never seen before, and you have to evaluate them, because the job of a developer is to evaluate cards they've never seen before. So, we're not going to talk specifics, but give me a general sense of, like, the kind of things you had to figure out on a Vapor Ops test. Um, it was basically, like, evaluate cards for limited and constructed play, um, build constructed decks out of these cards. Um, so, basically, I had to, like, you know look at cards I've never seen before, evaluate them on the fly, and then just build a deck that, a standard deck that would, you know, work in the format and, like, use most of these cards. Um, so, okay, so you, you had an interview first or you had the Vapor Ops test first? I had the interview first, actually. Okay, like a phone interview? Yes. Okay, so you had the phone interview, you did the Vapor Ops test, what, what, after that, what was next? Um, well, then after that, I was told that my test went really well, so that was great, but unfortunately, they 
didn't have a position for me. They went with someone else. So I was real sad. But it was okay, because I could go to Pro Tour Honolulu. So that went fine. But Dave also said that he was very interested in me still, so like he would keep me in mind in case something else opened up. Could have opened up in a year, a month, who knows. But a month later, something did open up. So I, so I ended up making plans to move out to Seattle, played in one final pro tour, which was Hawaii. And then after that, um, I guess after that, like there was Christmas and stuff, so I, I waited a couple months, and then I moved out in January. So something that you might not know that's very funny... Uh... It's very, when someone starts in, in R&D, especially on the development side, a very, very common request is just one more pro tour. <laughs> That's a very common request. Yeah, it was like actually really sad because I just also top-aided a Grand Prix, like right before the pro tour. So I did kind of want to play more in more pro tours, but I mean, I figured if I played in another pro tour, I would just have to play in the next pro tour. So I had to give it up sometime. And I figured this was a good time. You know, this was my 18th Pro Tour. Um, I didn't. I had a decent amount of success. I didn't like have the pro points I wanted. Like, I like my goal was to like be on the Hall of Fame ballot, and I didn't get enough pro points for that, unfortunately. But I think overall, like, it was it was a good decision. And you know, it was it's a lot of Pro Tours. It's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. No. Very impressive. So okay. So. You, uh, Dave says, okay, we got a job for you. You started in January, I believe. Yes. Okay, what's your first day like? You walk in first day. What's the first day of being R&D like? All right, well, first day, I got to see all these people who I haven't seen in a long time <laughs> that I used to play Magic with. So it was kind of like a reunion. I saw Gavin, Sam Stoddard, Ben Hayes, um, Ian Duke, like all people that like I played PTQs with years ago. So I, get to, I got to see my old friends again. So that was pretty cool. Right. So de- development is mostly hired from people that are former pro players. That, that's where development tends to get most of its people. So then I get handed all of these books of magic sets. And they say, okay, here are the next five magic sets. Learn them. So all of a sudden I have all these sets I have to learn. It was pretty overwhelming. Yeah, that, so whenever you start, one of the things we refer to it as... Uh, the black hole, which is every every person who starts in R&D, there's a, a gap where they know all the cards that they played with, and once they get in R&D, they know all the cards they're working on, but there's a, a two-year gap between what you've seen and what you work on. And it's very, very hard, actually, to remember things that you just haven't experienced. Like, if you've played with the cards, you tend to remember them, or if you've worked on the cards, you tend to remember them. But just looking at lists is, is a lot trickier. So what's it like catching up on two years of magic in not too long? Oh, it's really hard. Like, so I asked a lot of people how long it took them to learn. They said, oh, you know, like a month or more. So I was like, all right, a month? Yeah, that's fine. I could probably learn these sets in a month. And it's just like very overwhelming because usually for like, if you're preparing for a pro tour, you have to learn one set. So that's pretty easy. And you also have all this knowledge of sets before it. So all you have to do is like learn these cards, figure out how they play well into the standard format that you already know about. But then all of a sudden, the standard format is completely new. It's two years and you've never seen cards before. So you have to not only learn all these cards, but also figure out the standard format. And, right. and, and that tough. is the standard format. So FFL, what we call the Future Future League, is uh, standard, but a year from now. And so one of the things that the sets you're talking about make up standard. Like, you have to play a standard, but you know none of the cards. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then... Not only that, but there's no artwork. Like all you have are just you know names, text, and casting costs. So like you're like so 
for my first day, I just borrowed someone else's deck because obviously I'm not going to build a deck when I have no idea what's going on. So I'm playing these cards and I have to like read everything. I don't know what anyone's doing. And there's like, it's, it's just so hard. There's no artwork on any of the cards, like I said. And like, that's like, for most people, the art is like how you know the card. You know, like you just look at the art, you know what that is. But like, when it's just text, you just have to learn card names and learn what everything does. And like, card names is something that I'm terrible at. So it was definitely hard to like, memorize all these card names. Oh, and then all the card names change. Like, yes. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Mm-hmm. I know no card names, because all the card names I know are all different, usually, from what they end up being called. So here's the, let's talk contrast here to, to 1995. So when I started, I started in uh, October of 1995. Homelands had just come out, and the next set was Alliances, which I was on the development team. Like, my first day, I, I went to a development meeting for Alliances, and there's like 13... It's a, every single person working on Magic was on this development team. It was crazy. But anyway, I only had one set to learn because it was, it was the longest gap we've ever had in Magic between card sets. There was a seven-month gap. And we had a shorter time frame between how long... We, we worked less far ahead back then. So I had to learn one set, which was a small set of alliances. So that's a very different animal than having to learn you know, two years worth of cards. Oh, wow. That sounds way easier. <laughs> that's much easier. Although it was, a, it was a little wilder back then, but... I also, that's a, when I started Magic, I knew every single card in existence because it was 95 and there were, you know, a thousand cards or something. There weren't a lot of cards in Magic yet, so you actually can know every card and it's no longer possible. Okay, so first day, you have all the new sets, you got a little new sets. What else do you do on the first day? Um, well, I did a Dragons of Tarkir draft. Okay. And that was really fun. <laughs> I didn't expect that. And also, at this during this draft, Fate Reforged wasn't even out yet. So... I got to open packs of a set that isn't going to come out for months, and we did a draft, a real-life draft. It was, like, super fun and definitely, like, something I didn't expect to do. So, let me explain what's going on there. So, one of the things we have to do is um, we have to check packs before it comes out. So, when they, the very first print run that comes off is a test print run. They send it to R&D, and we need to make sure that everything's correct, that the packs aren't messed up. So um, Brian's one of the de- one of the development guys. He his job is to look through and make sure the collation everything is correct. But hey, we have sealed packs. You know, we don't want those to go to waste. And so it's very common that R and D, you know, just a, for quality assurance purposes, we'll, we'll we'll draft it and make sure that it's good. Yep. And unfortunately, we had to give back all the cards. Oh yeah, we just real sad. Cannot keep the cards. Um, yeah, I I had a, a, a draft for uh, we did the same thing for Magic Origins. Uh, and I opened up uh, both Jace and Foil Jace. That was crazy. That was crazy. But anyway, um, so okay, so you had a chance to play in a draft in a format you'd never seen before with real cards. You you uh, had to learn our systems, right? You had to learn uh, multiverse and all the different tools. Yeah, lots of stuff to learn. Okay, so you had to learn the, the tools. You got to get up to date on all the cards. What what else? What else happened your first day? Um. I got a free lunch. Oh, that's very common, yes. Uh, it's very, very common when someone starts that the team will take them out. The whole team will go out to lunch to welcome them. Um, uh, the design team, for example, we tend to go to California Pizza Kitchen if we tend to go. Um, whenever we get a new designer. Um, so be aware, R&D, once again, so people, people who aren't aware of this, there's a bunch of different sections in R&D. So there's a development section. Um, the head developer is Eric Lauer, and the lead, the manager of the development team is Dave Humphreys. 
I, the design team, I'm the head designer, and then Mark Gottlieb is my design manager. There's a design section. Uh, there's also a creative team section that's broken into a story section and an art section. There is an editing section. There is a digital section that's broken up into different digital products. And so all those different groups exist in R&D. So it's, it's a, just meeting everybody, right? That's probably a big part of the first couple of days, just learning everybody's name. Yeah, I did go to all the departments and meet everyone and then forget everyone's name. But I did learn them over time at least, so that's good. But yeah, there's a lot of people to meet on your first day. I did know most of development and design though already, so that was good. Did you do you know most of design? Um, yeah, like Gavin, uh, Jackie, I played... I'm oh, sure you knew Gavin and Jackie, okay. PTQs with her, um... Yeah, because a lot of the designers don't come from the Pro Tour, right? You're correct. Gavin and Jackie did, so some of them do. Um, but like Ethan and Sean and, and um, Ken. Yeah, but I did meet them during, like, you know, various times. Like, I, uh, went to the Community Cup last year and got to Tour Wizards, and I, like, met almost everyone then. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. That's, I did not remember, I remember you were in the Community Cup. I, I forgot. That's true. Okay, so, um, okay, so let, your, your first day. So what, let's talk about your very first team. What was the, you know, I, we're not getting into specifics, but was it the first team you were on a development team? Um, well, I guess FFL team is technically the first team. Okay, so talk about the FFL team. Tell me what that is. Um, all right, so FFL is our internal standard league. Yeah, future, future league. Yep, and we play Future Standard. So basically what we do is uh, we meet every week to go over all the cards and figure out what the top cards are in the format. And we uh, build decks independently based on what we think, uh, what we feel are the best cards. And we play test. Lots of play testing. Um, and then, like, it's also split up into seasons. So, like, kind of like, you know, right now we have uh, Dragons of Tarkir is the current standard format, so technically you could say that's the Dragons of Tarkir season, but we have that as well for future sets. Um, and then when the season is winding down, we do a tournament. And if um, if something is performing super well in the tournament, it's very dominant, we could maybe make some of those cards worse to like make the deck a little weaker, or we could improve some other cards to make decks that aren't doing so well a little bit better against this particular deck. Um, that's pretty much what okay. FFL is all about. And I, I, so one of the roles of, I know, the interns is you guys do a lot of playtesting. So you, you, it's very common for the, the interns to do a lot of FFL. Yeah, we have play. the most free time, so we just play lots of magic. And uh, you mentioned this earlier, but I want to hit this point again, that one of the skills that's really important for, uh, for a developer is the ability to build decks. So talk a little bit about, like, what, what the goal is when they, you know, but what are you trying to do when you build decks? Alright, well, first I want to say that building FFL decks is just so different from building decks in real life. Like, we, in real life, you have a lot to go by. You have the internet, you have tournament results. But, like, here, you have to just build a deck from scratch. So you have to really know what you're looking for. Like, if a deck has a weakness, you have to know how to find it and, like, how to improve it. And just, like, being in R&D for four months, my deck-building skills have just improved, like, so much. If I ever go back to the Pro Tour, like, watch out, because I am actually, like, much better at deck-building than I used to be. So one of the things for people to understand is uh, the real world has what we call stat, a static environment, which means we print cards, those are the cards, and so when you go to build a deck, nothing changes. Like, the cards you're playing with today are the cards you're playing with a week ago. 
But when you're playing in R&D, cards change. Because as you guys are figuring out what's going on, development will change the cards. And sometimes it'll change costs. Sometimes it'll just throw them out and add new cards. So you're building in a non-static environment, uh, a environment that's in flux. So what is it like building an environment where things keep changing? All right. Well, for example, if you have this one deck that's doing really well in dominant like we'll like talk about it. We'll be like, okay, sure, this deck is performing too well. Let's make you know these specific cards worse. So we do that. Maybe try and play the deck again. It's bad. So we just like dismiss the deck, never play it again. Well, that could be a mistake because as other cards keep changing, this deck could be good again. You know. So like one thing that we have to be careful of is to like never dismiss an old deck that we think is bad because cards are constantly changing. The decks are always changing, and decks like they just fluctuate in power level like constantly like every day so another thing that I know you guys do we talk about this a little bit is not only is your role figuring out what's good and what's bad you need to figure out what's fun and what's not fun oh yeah that's very true like I, I might say good and bad but that's not actually what we're trying to do at all like the actual goal is fun so so for example if there's cards that are like just producing like a very like repetitive game state we want to avoid that. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, I know Eric, uh, Eric's written a little bit about is what development is trying to do is they set power level, but power level's not... It's about figuring out where are the interesting things, let's put the power where the interesting things are, meaning make... So I talk about this a lot in my podcast about how the players will go wherever the game put, puts them. Wherever the strongest strategies are, the players will play that strategy. Regardless of if they're the fun things to do, they'll play the better strategies. So what development needs to do is make sure the better strategies are where the fun is. So that the decks people are playing are the fun decks. And I know a lot of development is trying to make sure that what you guys are pushing is the thing that the players will most enjoy playing. Yeah, definitely very true. Like, if, if something is super fun, we want to make that card good. If something is not fun, we either want to just kill the card or just not make it a standard competitive card. Okay, so let's move on. You do FFL. So let's talk a little bit about being on a team. So was your first team a development team? I am currently on a development team, yes. And okay, I so what, my what, first team. What, what, what's it like to be on a development team? What do you do on a development team? Um, so I've been on, on this development team since the set started in development. So like the first thing is this thing called Divine, where it's like a mix of design and development. And um, at that time... Um, we don't really have control over what cards can change or not. It basically, like, design has all control over it. But we're trying to make sure that, like, the draft environment and sealed environment is balanced. So, like, if we build a sealed deck and everyone plays blue-black and no one ever wants to play any of the other colors, well, clearly there's a problem there. So we might try to make the rest of the colors, like, make some of the cards slightly better and then make blue and black slightly worse then we'll try again and like see if it's balanced then so yeah we definitely want to try and get limited to a good place during that period let me, let me find divine real quickly so way back when uh design used to work on the file and then would hand off the development and what we found was that development would do a lot of work early on changing some stuff that design did and what we realized was if development could give notes to design, design could fix a lot of the problems that development has, but because design's a little more aware of how the set all comes together at that point, that they could fix it but make changes that would be in tune with what the rest of the set's doing. 
And so Divine started as this in-between period where Design still has control of the, of the file, but development's making notes that Design is listening to and adapting to. Uh, so we do Divine, we make changes. Okay, now it gets handed off. It's development's time. What does development do? All right, so one thing is we have to make sure that the set mechanics work and that they're fun. So, like, so for example, some of the set mechanics in the set that I'm, that I'm on, it just they just didn't work. Like, so this one mechanic, it just didn't do anything. It was like this weird mechanic where, like, um, it was like an ability of a creature, and like the opponent, like you didn't know if the opponent could interact with your creature or not. So it was just a weird mechanic, and we were just like, all right, this is working. We're just gonna kill it and call this something else. So, yeah, that's one thing. We have to just make sure all the set mechanics are balanced and are fun to play with. Okay. What, so, else, what, else, what else do you do? Uh, we also want to make sure that there's a good amount of constructed cards. Um, there's, like, a set number of constructed cards that we shoot for. Um, like, a certain number of Mythics, Rares, Uncommons, and Commons. So, right now, um, we are... We don't have enough constructed cards, so our goal is to improve some cards for constructed to make sure that, like, there's enough cards to play with in the set. So something else, maybe uh, uh, sure people understand. One of the things that development tries to do is it's not their goal to solve the environment because if development understands the environment completely, then the public will figure it out overnight. You know, there's millions of people playing Magic. So what development is trying to do is make some educated guesses and push in different directions. So it's not that they know every card what's going to necessarily be a hit card. They just make a lot of logical guesses in different areas knowing that some of it will end up seeing play, but not necessarily everything. Yeah, like if, if there's a card that we think is super cool, um, we'll just like make it good enough so that we know that it will see constructive play. Right, and there's a lot of famous examples where there's cards where the card in the vacuum is really good, but there wasn't a deck that really took advantage of it, and so it's possible for a strong card sometimes to sort of not quite see as much play as possible because the rest of the cards supporting it aren't there. So the reason you guys are making decks is not only are you trying to make sure individual cards are strong, but archetypes are strong. Okay, so anything else in the development team? Anything else that you do that people might not be aware of you do? Um, let's see. Draft, sealed, constructed. What else have we been doing? Um, I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting. Well, another big thing I know that goes on in development is um, the creative happens... I mean, design and creative talk a lot early on, but a lot of the decisions about what's happening happen during development. Like, it's during development that the art gets commissioned, that oh, there's yeah, card contracts. Sure. Yeah, um, I don't know too much about the art stuff yet, but I, I do know that um, there are certain cards that get commissioned for art, and like once they get commissioned for art, the art is locked in. So when you change cards, you have to keep in mind like the flavor of the card and the artwork. So like, so for example, if you want to change a card into something different, we have to look at the art and then we say, all right, well, will this change work with this art? And if it doesn't, then we can't make that change. Another thing that happens is, uh, in large sets especially, there's two waves of art, and so you have wave one and wave two, so you have to figure out what to lock down earlier, like what are you sh more sure you want to do, because you're right, once you have art, it, it, it limits what you can do with the card. And so there's another part of development figuring out what do we want to commit to early and what do we want to hold off a little bit on. And there's a lot of very, very tricky things about art, 
You know, you might think that, oh, if it's a creature, whatever, I can just change it. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Certain creatures can only be so big, and if you go flying, you have to be flying in the art. And there's, there's, not th- there's things that you just can't change easily that you have to be very conscious of. Okay, so... Um, oh, another thing the development has to do, which is... Uh, development interacts with all the different departments. So, development, like, if there's frames to be done... Development has to interact with caps and the people doing the framework and making sure that we figure out how the frames are going to work. If there are magic online issues, if we're doing something that's going to be quirky to program, they have to interface with digital to make sure that those stuff are done. If there are any organized play issues, like if they're doing something, like I know when we made the double face cards, we had to talk to organized play because we knew that was a huge drafting thing and organized play had to figure out how they were going to be drafted. Um... So there's a lot of different things I know development does, interfacing with lots of different sections. Design kind of, we have to interface a little bit of development and a little bit of creative, but we're doing work so early that a lot, of, a lot of other teams aren't involved yet. Yep, that's very true. I haven't really interacted with many of those teams yet because I'm still very new. And like usually uh, if you're a lead on a development team, like those are the people who interact with them. But yeah, uh, that's definitely true. Like always have to talk to creative. Like, and I know every time I suggest a change, for a card, the lead on that set is like, oh, okay, like, let me just go ask creative. Okay, so you're you're on a development team, you're doing FFL. What, what else, what other kind of stuff do you do? Um, so, even if I'm not on a certain team, I could still be in playtest with that team, so I've done lots of playtests of all different sets that are either in design or development. And I know Eric has you guys look at files, and, and you guys will do passes on... Yeah, um, that's something that he's having us do because, like, especially when a set is in divine, uh, no, sorry, design, um, he wants us to look through the file anyway just to, like, see if there's something off. Because, like, sometimes designers just, like, design a card that will just never work in constructed. Yeah, that's something we've spent a lot of time recently is trying to design cards that have more potential in constructed. Um, because certain kinds like, of, yeah, certain kinds of cards won't work in constructed. Or just a card that won't work in magic. You know, it's like, oh, this card, it just doesn't work. Like, it just, the, the rules don't support it. Or, like, you just can't, like, actually put this card in the deck for whatever reason. There could be any kind of reason that I can't really say. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that to keep in mind is, in design, you know, there's all there's all sorts of things you, uh, you have to do before you get to the final product. And there's rules, there's templating, there's all sorts of, you know, there's developmental issues, there's all sorts of things. And so... Um, more, we're trying to get more eyes early in design to pick problems early so we recognize that they're problems and we, you know, we don't end up with a mechanic that has to be six lines of rules text. Yeah, like another thing that I've noticed is like a lot of designers like to make new card types. Well, most of the times I read these new cards and I'm just like, yeah, that's not a thing that can happen, you know? So, unfortunately, those cards just get killed immediately, usually. Yeah, the, uh... One of the things that we're working a lot on is making sure, like, design... Some of what design wants to do is just do crazy things and try to out things we've never done before. But there has to come what I call the sanity pass at some point where you're like, okay, that's great, we can't actually do that. Or, why can't we do it? Because sometimes you can solve problems by going, okay, well, here's why you can't do it as is, but maybe you could solve that problem so you could do it. Okay, so, FFL, you do development, you're doing playtesting. Anything else? Um... There's weekly weekly meetings, right? Yeah, of course there's weekly meetings. Yeah, we have a development meeting every week where we talk about just, like, any development topic. It could be about, um, like, a new set mechanic that's coming up or about, like, 
products such as like Modern Masters 2, like, uh, you know, like what card should be in it, for example. Like, it could be pretty much about anything. We also have a weekly FFL meeting where we talk about just standard and like what cards are fun, what cards are not fun, too powerful, stuff like that. Like, how about Tuesdays? Oh, we have a meeting <laughs> on Tuesday too. We have a magic meeting. Basically, a magic meeting is all of Magic R&D go in this room. There's, like, maybe 50 people, and we, like, pretty much talk about anything. Anything magic-related. And it's not just R&D. It's, it's anybody in the company who is interested and has some hand in magic can come. Um, it's where we do our slideshows. It's where we do um, lots of presentations whenever we do new sets. Um, but, yeah, we, the topics can vary greatly. You know, one week we're talking about some new set coming up, and next week... We're talking about our, what we learned at GDC. The, uh, yeah, the next week it could be about talking about collation or something. It, it, it's all sorts of lots of different things. Okay, Wednesday we have a meeting. You know what the Wednesday's meeting is? Yeah, Wednesday is card crafting. What is card crafting? That's where like we basically talk about a specific topic about like magic cards. So for example, um, what can we do with red creatures? You know, we'll, we'll talk about what what red creatures can do. Well, they can have haste. They can have first strike. Just like you know things like that. Yeah, card crafting is a little more technical. It's just design development, and it is much more in the in the weeds technical talk, like talking about can a certain color do a certain thing, or uh, the rules have uh, have to figure out how something's going to work, and we have to come to an agreement how we want a, a particular mechanic to work. Um, we also have a meeting called World Crafting. I don't know if you go to World Crafting. I have never been to World Crafting. So world, world Crafting sure is the same is. thing, but it's for the create. It's for creative issues. Okay. Um, so it's like it's the equivalent of card crafting, but for creative. It's in the weed creative issues. Um, I'm trying to think of other weekly meetings that you would go to. Um, I mean, obviously, there's stuff like a one-on-one. You meet with your manager, and you know that there's yep. there's um, some bookkeeping type stuff. Um, but anyway, we're almost almost work here. So uh, so what would you say? Here's a question I know people always ask: What is the thing that you least expected? You know. Not, not, now that you've done it for a while, what is the thing that you're most surprised that people, you know, you did not expect walking in that now that you've done the job for a while, you're like, oh, wow, I did not see this. as. Um, well, I think I expected that we would be playing more magic. Like, I just expected we would just, like, sit and play magic for eight hours, you know? But mm-hmm. we do a lot of, like, a lot of discussing, debating. A lot of talking. <laughs> yeah, sure, a lot of talking, a lot of just, like, sitting at our desks and doing research about mm-hmm. cards and like not as much magic playing as I thought and another thing is basically every developer and even designer in R&D like they're all like very talented magic players mm-hmm. I didn't actually like I mean sure people have been on the Pro Tour of course they're good but I was actually like very surprised at like how talented everyone is you haven't played me yet so <laughs> <laughs> but we've played no, we have played I think you beat me if I remember <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, yeah, one of one of the the jokes is that uh, um, uh, a lot of R and D joke that their actual play skill will go slightly down over time while being in R and D, only because you know being on the pro tour, you're sort of just constantly playing playing specific like competitive magic a little more. Um, and my claim to fame is I've gotten better in R. I'm, I'm one of the few people that like my play skill is better than the day I started. So no, this is very true though. Like I am definitely a worse magic player. Like I'm probably a better technical player like I, I can make all the right plays and everything but like I'm more sloppy like I go to FNM and I just miss everything <laughs> and yeah you know, I just like I play so much worse because 
like, you know, we're playing, we're not playing to win at R&D, we're playing to, like, make cards better. So we're taking things back, we're discussing about plays all the time, we're, like, discussing certain interactions. So, yeah, I'm definitely a more sloppy player than yeah. I used to be. The thing that people don't realize is that one of the things when you're playtesting is, it is... When somebody does something wrong, you point it out because the goal is not to win. The goal is to get the optimal game so you can understand the game state. Yes, definitely. So, like, if you make a mistake, your opponent will just go, oh, you need to do such and such. And so you get very lazy because in the real world, people don't remind you to do things yeah. or, or let you take things back when you, you didn't do the right play. So, But anyway, we are now, uh, we've gotten to Wizards. So I want to thank you for joining me. Um, hopefully the audience has, has a little better sense of what it's like to join R&D. Um, but anyway, we are in the parking space. We all know what that means. It means at the end of our drive to work. So instead of talking magic with Melissa, it's time for us to be making magic. So guys, join us next time. Bye-bye. Bye.